Welcome to Life Point Plus, a program dealing with marriages and family. We are so glad you're listening. Here's your host, pastor and teacher, Gary Moore. Welcome to Life Point Plus. I'm your host, Gary Moore. When we closed last week's broadcast, we were talking about the second half of 1 Corinthians 13.6. Love rejoices with the truth. A healthy, loving relationship can't grow when we always have to wonder if our spouse is telling us the truth. A commitment to truth-telling in marriage is part of how we love one another well and build a foundation of trust. Bob Lapine says that one of the key principles that he and his wife learned early in their marriage is that different isn't necessarily wrong. It's just different. You might wonder why anyone in his right mind would choose a dip of pralines and cream over a scoop of deep chocolate peanut butter. But it's a choice. It's different, but it's not wrong. It's not unusual for husbands and wives to have different perspectives on a wide variety of issues. In fact, it would be odd if we didn't. It's been said, if both of you thought alike, one of you would be unnecessary. The difference isn't necessarily wrong principle will help you cultivate humility in your marriage. We can benefit from our dissimilar ways of thinking about things, but sometimes Different is wrong. Not everything is a preference. Ice cream flavors is one thing, but truth, that's something else. Love rejoices in truth. And one of the implications of that is that, as husbands and wives, we demonstrate our love for each other and for God by aligning our lives, individually and as a couple, around the truth of God's Word. Pursuing truth together, loving truth, and then making choices based on what God's Word reveals as true is a key part of how we love one another. Preferences are one thing. As we've already seen, love grows when we don't insist on our own way but give grace to one another in preferences. But when it comes to areas of faith and practice where God's Word is clear, Love grows as husbands and wives commit themselves to knowing, believing, and responding to truth. That means that you cheer each other on as you dig deep into God's Word. You and your spouse may employ different practices when it comes to growing in your knowledge and understanding of the Bible. The method isn't the issue. What matters is that you are both committed to pursuing a growing relationship with God by seeking to understand Scripture. Your spiritual growth together as a couple may not follow a prescribed pattern. The point is, rejoicing in truth means you intentionally align yourselves as a couple around the truth found in God's Word. Stand back from your relationship for a moment and ask yourself these two questions. What are your current rhythms and strategies for taking in the truth of God's Word? What do you and your spouse's personalities tell you about how you should intentionally grow in truth together? As we continue to think about love rejoicing with truth, we can't forget that in the end, the truth we're talking about needs to be a lived truth. It is ultimately not the truth that is being loved here. It is seeing the truth lived out in the lives of people that brings us joy. 
We rejoice as we see truth manifested in each other's lives. Just as faith without works is dead, truth that is not lived out isn't really truth at all. The truth we say we believe has to be more than words or ideas. In the end, the choices we make and the way we live our lives are the truest reflection of what we genuinely believe. The Bible contrasts rejoicing in the truth with not rejoicing in wrongdoing. We've already seen that love does not celebrate or pursue unrighteousness. Instead, love celebrates and pursues holy, godly living. We've talked about how love rejoices when we can learn to be honest with each other about who we really are. The naked and not ashamed marriage where we are fully known, fully accepted, and fully loved is what each of us longs for. Love rejoices when we see one another growing in godliness. Love rejoices when our lives line up with the truth we claim to embrace, the truth found in God's Word. For love to flourish in marriage, we need to be husbands and wives who are continually working to see the character of Christ revealed in our lives. Bob Lapine says that love rejoices when we see each other becoming the people we say we long to be. People who reflect the image of Jesus in how we think, what we say, and how we act toward one another. Love rejoices in the truth as we see it lived out in each other's lives. Well, now let's turn our attention to verse 7 of 1 Corinthians 13. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Where is the line between bearing all things and enabling someone's harmful and destructive behavior? Are we supposed to believe someone, even if that person has proven himself or herself to be untrustworthy? Should we keep hoping when we see no reason for hope? What is real love supposed to look like? Well, Bob Lapine says there are no absolute answers to these kinds of questions. Every circumstance and situation has subtleties and contexts that should inform our decision-making. Here, questions like these require a lot of prayer and biblically-anchored wisdom. We have to bring both truth and grace to the table as we deal with these kinds of issues. But whatever decisions a person may make about how to proceed in the face of betrayal and hurt, we can't lose the sight of what the Bible is saying to us here. Bearing, believing, hoping, and enduring need to be a part of our journey. As it says in Proverbs 18.24, A true friend sticks closer than a brother. Love is tenacious. It fights to survive. When we think about faithfulness in marriage, we immediately think of sexual fidelity. If someone asks you if you have been faithful to your spouse, you would presume they were asking about your sexual faithfulness. But as these four characteristics of love show, faithfulness in marriage goes much deeper. Faithfulness to another person means that when your spouse is carrying a burden, that burden becomes our burden too. Faithfulness means the default setting in our relationship is to stay committed to one another. Mix tenacity with faithfulness, and you have a kind of love that refuses to give up on another person. 
when circumstances make it hard to love, as they sometimes do, a tenacious person digs in. He refuses to let go or give up. All of this grit has to remain grounded in reality. The Bible's not saying that we should continue to blindly trust someone who has demonstrated that he or she is untrustworthy, or that love means living in denial about what's happening in our relationship while we hang on to some kind of unrealistic fantasy. But a loving spouse fights for his or her marriage. Winston Churchill once observed, that the nose of a bulldog is slanted backwards so the dog can continue to breathe while he hangs on to whatever his teeth sunk into. That's what a loving spouse is like, a bulldog. Someone who refuses to give up. Someone who says, I'm here for you. I know we're facing some headwinds, but I believe the adversity we're facing can be overcome. And in the meantime... I'm not going anywhere. There are really two main ideas wrapped up in the four words the Bible uses in verse 7 to describe love. The Apostle Paul uses a common Hebrew literary form called chiasm. The first and last words on his list of four fit together, and the second and third words belong together as well. We could group the words this way. Love bears and endures, and love believes and hopes. Love is strong in the face of adversity, and love remains positive and optimistic even when things are dark. There's a term we use for people who believe all things. We call them gullible. And there's a name we use for a person who is always hopeful. We call them Pollyanna. In both cases, we are thinking of people who are really sweet and kind but who are naive and probably not as connected to reality as they ought to be. When the Bible tells us that loving others means we always believe, it's not commending being naive. It's not saying we should trust anyone and everyone, even when our better judgment tells us otherwise. The scripture calls us to wisdom and discernment. To simply accept whatever we're told would contradict Jesus' instructions to be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. But think for a minute. What is the mistake a gullible person makes? He or she trusts others too easily. That's what little children are like, right? They easily trust others because they are guileless. They default to believing the best about others. What kind of faith did Jesus say we are to have? The faith of a little child. We give another person a great gift when we say, I'm going to put myself at risk and choose to trust you until it becomes clear you can't be trusted. Theologian R.C. Sproul described this kind of trust this way. He called it giving the judgment of charity. It's more commonly referred to as giving someone the benefit of the doubt. Though it's not used as much today, the term Pollyanna used to refer to someone who chooses to believe the best about another person and to remain hopeful in the face of adversity. I see our time is gone for today. I invite you to join me Monday mornings at 10 a.m. on my Mutual Understanding Method Facebook page 
for some live teaching about areas of your relationship where mutual understanding is critical. Have a great and safe weekend. God bless. Thank you for listening today. This program is brought to you by Cloverdale Church of God. If you would like to reach Pastor Gary, please email him at pastorgary at cloverdalechurch.org. To know more about the church, go to our website at www.cloverdalechurch.org. Thanks for listening and be blessed.